How many know that when moments happen, and I'm talking when real moments happen, it gets our attention? When we go through moments that are surprising or hard or terrifying, it wakes us up. This last week, I had an opportunity to go to Michigan because my mom decided to buy her dream car. And it's got all the bells and whistles. It's got everything you can think of, and, and I'm so glad for my mom. And she called us up just to brag to us and said, look what we got. And so she's talking to my wife and I, and, and, um, and she was just showing us excited about her new car. And she says, well, what are we going to do with this? And it was the 2009 uh, Saturn that's sitting out there. And I said, I have an idea, Ma. And, um, and so they wanted to bless us with that vehicle. And so I, um, I, I went on the road to Michigan. I left at 1 o'clock in the morning because I had to be there by 2 the next day. So I left at 1 o'clock in the morning. I got there uh, Friday. No, I got there Thursday morning or afternoon about 1 o'clock. Uh, I left at 1 o'clock Friday and got home. And on my way home, you know, I'm, I'm driving... I leave at 1, and so, you know, there's, there's a lot of trucks on the road at, at night, and, and, you know, especially through Chicago and the highway, a lot of trucks out there. And, and so I drive through Chicago, and it was rainy the whole way. It was rainy the whole way, and it was just hard, and I'm, I'm pulling the vehicle. And, and, you know, if you ever drive in Chicago downtown, the roads are very narrow. And, you know, and I got this dolly back there, and I'm just trying to stay in the lanes and you know, while I'm going, you know, 95 miles an hour, it seems like every car is just so fast there. You know, it's sad when, when the, the officer pulls up to you and says, get going, let's go, hurry up. You know, it's just, it's, it's just a crazy place to drive. And I'm pulling this car and I get through there, no problem. I'm getting past Wisconsin and, and, uh, or getting into Wisconsin. I'm heading towards Madison. And, and the roads were, they were busy, but they weren't too bad. But in Madison, things got real busy. And... As we're driving, I'm about three car lengths behind this little car who is right on the tail of a semi-truck. Just, I mean, there was just, it looked like he was pulling a car. That's how close it was. This semi-truck realized that he missed his exit, that his exit was coming and he was in the center lane and he had to get over two lanes. So this semi-truck decides to do something that I, I very rarely have ever seen in my years of driving. He slams on his brakes because he's missing his exit. And this happened within about three seconds. This story happened in about three seconds. He slams on his brakes, and the car that's behind him, this little car, is starting to skid, trying to, because he slammed on his brakes. And I slammed on my brakes, and I have, I'm driving a, you know, a full-size Yukon XL, and I'm pulling another few thousand pounds behind me, and I slam on my brakes, and I know this, that we are going to have a collision here. It's just, there's no way I can avoid it. And so as I slammed on my brakes, immediately I looked in my mirror, because I knew this, this lane was completely filled with semi-trucks, just instantly I knew that. And I looked in my mirror, and as in my mirror, I see that there's these cars. Now, I, I know that I'm slowing down. I'm slamming on my brakes, I'm slowing down, and these cars are coming up quick because they're just driving full speed. They're not even seeing this, this truck that slammed on his brakes. And so as, they, as, they, as I'm slamming on my brakes and I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything I can to stop, I realize I'm going to hit this car in front of me and I saw that there was this little gap and I immediately went all the way over into the shoulder lane and that car that was behind me just, just goes right by me. Didn't even stop, didn't even slow down. And I'm driving in this shoulder and, and when real moments happen... You wake up. Now, I wasn't sleeping, 
And, and praise the Lord, I was still alert and pay attention. And, and we all know the honest truth. The Lord was watching over me. But when real moments happen, it sharpens our attention and you realize how fragile things are. And so the next thing I did, I called my wife. And I said, hey, get Pete and Cynthia on the phone. Let's have a little telecommunication thing going on and all that. I didn't tell her about it on the road. No way I was going to tell her on the road. Because I wanted to get my mind off of it. I, I was just, it was just a, a pretty scary moment. But when real moments happen, you wake up. And this moment that is going to happen in Jesus' life, going to the cross, is a very real moment. It's something that he knows is going to have to happen in order to fulfill what God wants for his life and for our salvation. And so he's riding on this donkey heading towards Jerusalem. And when he gets there, they begin to honor him by laying down these palm branches and worshiping him, which is amazing because in just a few days, all of these people are going to turn on him and want him dead. And so he's going to Jerusalem, but he's not going to Jerusalem just to go visit. He's going on a mission and on a purpose. He is heading to the cross. The ideal of going to the cross is something that you can imagine the, the dark forces of this world are excited about. The rulers and the Pharisees that want him dead are excited because they know that finally Jesus is going to die. They know that finally this guy that is ruining their jobs, ruining their status, ruining their gig is going to finally die. And they're all excited about this. And they see that he's coming. What a great opportunity. And they have this, this, this trial at night and they're, they're excited because they finally get to crucify their problem. You see, crucifixion was simply one thing, death. There's nothing about the cross. There's nothing about this cross that says, hey, this is a great message. I'm talking before Christ died. There's nothing about this cross that says this is a great message. Look at this. This is great. No, because when you look at that, all you see is death. There's only one purpose for it. It's not to hang it on your necklace so that you can be cool and say you're a Christian. It's not something that you wear as a piece of jewelry. It's not something you pray, you hold on to and you pray with. No, this was death. That's all it was. And here this whole world the, that hated Jesus the people that hated Jesus were so excited. But what I love is this. 1 Corinthians 2 tells us this. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. I love it. You see, because what people saw was a man that was causing problems with the religious leaders. He was causing problems within the religious state. And all they saw was he was coming and what a great opportunity to destroy him. What, what they didn't see was on this donkey was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who was going to do something that they had no clue what was coming. They had no idea what was coming. That's what I love about Jesus. You see, when you know who you are in Christ, and that's what I love about being a Christian, when you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to worry about what people think. You don't have to worry about what people think of you or, or how you come across because you know that the one inside of you, the Spirit of God that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. You know who you are in Christ and He has given you sound mind. He's not giving you a spirit of fear. He has given you love. He has given you joy. He has given you peace and kindness. And so this morning, 
This is the message. That this is what Jesus is doing. This is what Jesus is doing. He's going to the cross. But no one had any idea. And so Matthew 27 tells us this. As they were going out, they met a man. This is verse 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. And they came to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they watched over him there. Above the head, they placed a written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Who are, who are you going to destroy? Who, you who are going to destroy this temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him and he saved others. They said, but he can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the two rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. This story is such a sad story because all Jesus ever wanted to do was help people. He wasn't interested in power. He wasn't interested in taking over the religious establishment. All he wanted to do was bring the good news that he is going to offer eternal life for them. He wanted to heal people. He wanted to help people. And now they are leading him to this place called Golgotha, which is also known as the skull, skull place. You see, where the world, when the world sees this situation, this story, all they see is shame and death. They see shame and death. It's a shameful thing to be hung on the cross, the Bible says. It's a shameful thing. What I love about God is this, that he takes us, people that should be shameful of themselves. People that should be ashamed of how we've turned our back on the one who's loved us. And you know what he does with us? He forgives us. And like I said last week, he remembers it no more. If you ever think that God holds things against you, you don't know God. Because that's not him. The Bible says that when he forgives you, he releases you. He washes you. And you are now righteous in his eyesight. He doesn't hold those things against you. But in order for us to have that kind of relationship required one thing, the cross. It required the cross. Jesus also reminds us that if we want to follow him, it requires the cross as well. It says, Matthew 10, 38, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The cross was designed for one thing, death. The cross was designed to kill. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. This is such a, a hard thing to do. It's such a hard thing to do. Because we don't want to give up our life. We don't want to give up the way we live. Life 
according to the way we want it is not always what God wants. And when God asks us to lay those things down and to live for him, sometimes we fight against those things. But Jesus laid it all on the line. He said, listen, it's either the cross or nothing. You see, what the world tells us is that if we give up our life, we're going to miss out on opportunities. If we, if we follow God, we're going, to, we're going to find disappointment and we're going to, we're going to find false hope. And, and you know, we're just we're burying our heads in the sand and pretending that everything's good by praying to this God who is not even here. That's what the world tells us. But I want to tell you something, that there is something amazing about the cross once Jesus rose from the dead. It is something amazing when now we can experience life. We can experience resurrection in our own life. We can experience the joy of salvation. But on the cross, it was a very shameful thing, a very hard thing. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 52, 14, but many were amazed when they saw him and his face was so disfigured he seemed hardly human. In his form and from his appearance, one could scarcely know he was even a man. He did that. Why? Listen, I, I, I can't pretend to understand the horror and the torture of what Jesus went through. But I do know this, that the Bible paints this picture, gives us a little a window into his heart. Because remember, Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. And here he is, and he's on the cross, and he has this moment as a, as a man that was born here on earth. And this is what happened in Matthew 27, 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. And about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, La Eli, lama shabachthane, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? While dying on the cross, Jesus quotes from Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from my cries of anguish. Some people think, some scholars believe that this was the moment where the Father separated himself from Jesus because of all the sin that was upon his life. But I just have a hard time believing that. And here's why. Because there's nowhere in Scripture where God is never God. He is always God. And the Father and the Son have always been together as God. Did Jesus bear our sins? Absolutely. But I don't believe this is why Jesus is saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Others believe that it was just a human moment and and we do the same thing when we, when we have sin in our life and we're separated from God. And we, we say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You feel so far. Why are you gone? But I don't believe this is the moment either. Scripture tells us that Jesus and the Father were one. One. And the Father in heaven never sinned. He doesn't sin. So why is Jesus quoting this? Why is Jesus quoting this? You see, Psalm 22 is a very unique chapter because it's an introduction to the heart of what David is trying to express. But David is honest when he begins this. My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out day, day, I cry out by day, but you do not answer me by night, but I find no rest. David is being very honest with God. God, where are you? Where are you, God? Why are you so far from me? So many times we go through real moments and those words come upon our heart. And our thoughts, those thoughts are in our mind. My God, my God, where are you? Where are you? There are times even over these last few years where I've wondered, God, where are you? God, you promised that you would be with me. God, you promised. Where are you, God? How come you promise these things? How come you give me hope? And yet I see nothing but disappointment and chaos. Where are you? These are very real moments. These moments are simply us being human beings. Us being real. You know, when you think of great men and women in the Bible that had faith, you know, we always like to read into Scripture our ideals of these superhuman, super people, super people that have super faith. But these people were real. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were there before Nebuchadnezzar, and he told them, listen, if you don't bow, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And these guys said, hey, we will not bow. But even if our God doesn't save us, you see, they were very honest. They knew that they could die, but they were not going to defy their God. People are real. When Paul was on the boat in the shipwreck, and he, or he, just before he got shipwrecked, and he was in the storm, and these, this was a storm that made sailors afraid. And God sent an angel to Paul to remind him that he was going to make it to Rome. And what was the first thing the angel said? Paul, stop being afraid. Stop being afraid. We're, this is a human experience that we have. This is us as human beings. When things come our way, it is not, we do not always say, in Jesus' name. Sometimes life hits you, hits you hard, and it knocks you back a little. But what do you do after that moment is what defines faith from fear. Because if you live in fear, you'll never face tomorrow. If you live in fear, you'll never have the faith to take a step forward. Faith helps us overcome those moments that we face, those real moments. I told you about that near accident I had on the highway. Why did I call my wife immediately? Because you know what was the first thought was on my mind? Fear. It was a scary thing. I love driving. That moment, it scared me. And I was not going to let fear settle in my heart. So I called my wife and I just started talking. Why? Because I know that God's watching over me. And I'm not going to let fear think. And I just had the faith to continue to drive according to whatever the highway speeds were in the car in front of me. You guys drive that way too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Call them angels. No, I didn't drive that fast. I was pulling the car. But see, when we have faith, it helps us to overcome those moments. So why is Jesus quoting this? Because Jesus knows what this psalm has said. He knows what David said. This is, see, this is just my thoughts. These are just my thoughts about what I, what, why Jesus is saying this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I do not believe Jesus is saying this from a broken state. I do not believe Jesus is saying this because he has been separated from the Father. I believe Jesus is saying this because he knows the word of God. And this is what 
It says, Psalm 22, you are enthroned. This is verse 3. Because at first it sounds pretty bad. My God, my God, where are you? But this is what it says in verse 3. You are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. You see, when you go through those moments of fear or real moments that, 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 that are hard to deal with, what do you do with it? David said, listen, I'm going to look to you, God, because you are the one to be praised. And this is what David said, in you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. David knows that my God has never turned his back on his people. My God has watched over them when he brought them into Egypt, when they were enslaved by Egypt, and when he led them out of the desert by his mighty word, my God never failed the ancestors. My God was always there. They cried out to you and were saved. And when, they, and when you were there and when they trusted you, you did not put them to shame. You made them trust in you. You have, my, you have been my God. You see, David knows that yes, I feel like my God has forsaken me. I'm crying out to you and there's no answer. But I know this, you've never failed people that have turned to you. You've always watched over your people. So yes, there are moments that are real. And you are going to go through things you do not like. Jesus himself said, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. The battle, the battle that you will face will always be about the moment, the choice that you have. What are you going to do with it? Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Take it. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. That's one of the hardest things that we have to come up with come against in our mind, are we going to decide to follow the Lord or not? You know, we say the Lord's Prayer. We know the Lord's Prayer. And we sometimes say it so quickly, we don't ever think about it. But just in the first couple verses of that prayer, it takes a whole lot to believe in what you say and to live what you're saying. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I was looking in my journal this morning, going back over some of the things the Lord has said to me over the years. It was in, 2000, it was in 2013 when the Lord told me this, on this day today. You see, I, had, I was foolish enough to, to pray to the Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so God came in and he he turned my wife and I's life and our family's life around. And we went from having a secure, firm family and, and financial situation. And we just, everything was good. And then God comes in. And he overheard me saying, your kingdom come, your will be done. And so in one year, from when I quit the job to this day, in 2013, a year goes by. And through that year, we've seen nothing but disappointment and hardship. We've seen everything that we ever saved, everything we ever had, gone. To the point where we couldn't, we couldn't do anything. We were behind on everything. And as a father and as a husband, I start to ask myself, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And then, in one of those hardest moments, as I was laying there, I would, you know, I, I'm usually up by 4, 4.30. And I just remember laying in bed till 7.30, just crying. I didn't want to get out of bed. Finally, the Lord came to me during this time. And he says, son, why are you here in this bed? Because I don't want to face tomorrow. I don't want to face today. I don't want to face what I know is waiting for me. And he says, what does that have to do with you worshiping me? What does that have to do with your love for me? So I got out of bed, put my Sunday best on, went down to my office, and I began to seek him through this time. And we just kept going and kept believing that God was going to do something great, but nothing ever happened. Finally, I had this moment a year ago on 2013, or on this day in 2013, I finally asked the Lord, why? Why? Why would you ask me to put my family in such a horrible position and watch everything erode in front of my... Why would you do that, God? Why? And you know what he said? This is what I wrote down in my journal. Because you would. Because you would. You see, I've made a commitment to my Lord that it's not my kingdom, it's His. And it's not my will, it's His. And whatever He decides, whatever path He takes me on, I'll follow. When moments are real, it's hard. I know that. But remember, it's His will, not ours. And when you live for him and you follow him, he's going to have you do things you don't understand, but I guarantee you it's worth every moment. You just have to trust him. As a, as a kid, I used to sing in our church, Father, glorify yourself. Father, glorify yourself. Father, glorify yourself in me. Whether pleasure or with pain, in my life I give you rain. Father, glorify yourself in me. To have his will be done. That's what you do with real moments. That's what you do. Now, you're saying, man, what a bummer. I've come to church and this guy just told me everything that I don't want to hear. It gets better. But see, these moments are real. What do you do with this moment? You must say, your will be done. And that's what Jesus did. The second thing that Jesus did was he held on to God's word. He held on to God's word. As I read in scripture, in Psalm 22, Jesus is quoting this passage, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he knows that David is going to proclaim what he believes with all his, every fiber in his body, that those who put their trust in you, Lord, you will deliver. He knows that the Father in heaven will never forsake those who seek him. He knows that the Father will give him strength and he will praise him. And he also knows this, 
that there is not one word from God that will ever fail. He also knows that according to Proverbs 30 verse 5, that every word of God proves true. And Jesus also knows according to Psalm 16, I keep my eyes always on the Lord and with him at my right hand, I will never be shaken. And therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices and my body also will rest secure because I will not be abandoned to me or you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead nor let the faithful ones see decay. Jesus knows that my God will be with me and even though death may happen in my physical body, my Father will never let me fail because he has asked me to do this and if I'm willing to do what he wants then my Father is willing to do what he's promised and I'm telling you you will not see decay. You will not see shame. You will not see your Father fail you because he is still the same he is God and I you know I know you go through moments and I know I go through moments but we must hold on to the word of God and the Bible tells us that he will never forsake those who seek him that his love will never fail you and that if you ask anything in his name it will be done do not give up on God do not give up on his word it will be proven true every single word I'm telling you all I have is God's word and it's worth it you know the story when the Lord asked me to take my family out to eat and all I had was 14 cents. You know this story. 14 cents. No credit card. No nothing. Absolutely nothing. Just 14 cents. And God told me to take my family out to eat. And here I'm so afraid because I know that I can't. I can't do it, God. And he told me to do it. And I remember standing in front of my office wall facing south which is filled with bible verses and promises that god has given me and i finally said god if you want me to do this fine i'll do it because all i have is your word and your promises and that is more than enough and in just a few minutes my family and i were sitting down eating some chicken all you can eat baby and i did i did why because god's word never fails and his promises never fail. What do you do with the moment that you're in? You can be afraid. You can run. You can try to figure it out. Or you can take up the cross and surrender and say, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done. Whatever you want, God. And what will happen is this. The devil's going to come and he's going to bring all hell against you. And that's where you have to hold on to the word of God. And when you do, I guarantee you, he'll never fail you. Never. I don't know what tomorrow holds for you. I don't even know what tomorrow holds for me. But I know this, that if God doesn't show up, I'm not going to make it. I know this, that if God doesn't show up, I'm not going to make it. But you know what? He's going to show up. He always does. Always. 